0: You guys have no idea how many takes it took for us to get that bobber right in that frame. <laughs> um, we're in the middle of a series. We just started it last week um, called Life at the Lake. Uh, have you noticed? I got a little darker this week because I had my life at the lake uh, this week. Uh, we have a little cottage in northern Indiana, my, uh, my in-laws do, and we get to... Uh, we get all the benefits without the mortgage payment, so it's great, uh, and we're really enjoying going over there. But as I thought at the lake, as I floated around, as I fished around, I um, just started thinking about all the ways in which Jesus teaches the disciples, Jesus teaches people at the lake. And so what we're doing for the, for the rest of the summer is we're just going through a series simply called Life at the Lake, and all these different instances of Jesus interacting with people at the lake. Um, and so today we're going to look at, last week we talked about the calling of the disciples, and then this week we're going to look at one of the uh, later things that Jesus did, but it's all parentheses in, bookcased in, by this one singular miracle, this miracle of Jesus saying, hey, cast your nets on the other side. And so what happens is Jesus says, hey, fisherman, I know I'm a carpenter, and I don't know what I'm doing on a boat, but why don't you throw your nets on the other side. They do. They get this huge, miraculous catch of fish. And then fast forward three years, Jesus has died and been resurrected. And he's in the middle of this interesting 40-day period of when he starts reappearing uh, to the disciples. And how he introduces himself, he's on the shore and he looks out and says, hey guys, you catch anything? They're like, who's this joker on the shore telling us, hey, no, we don't catch anything today. Because nothing makes you happier when you're a fisherman and you're not catching fish. Right? That, that brings joy to your heart. And then some guy goes, Hey, why don't you try this? And so Jesus says, Hey, cash, put your uh, nuts on the other side. And the guys are like, Wait a second, I've heard this before. <laughs> and uh, that's where we find ourselves today, kind of book, bookshelved in this. Before I get too started, I'm really excited today uh, because my grandpa's here. And uh, I don't think my grandpa's ever heard me preach before. And so I'm really, really excited about that. <laughs> um, Uh, Yeah, Uh, so you say hi to Verl over here, 94 years old, still able to out-handshake anyone I know. Um, That's just, bird trap, bird trap, bird trap, bird trap. That's our thing. He'd always grab my leg, hurt like the dickens. I don't know if anybody else had that. Grandpa that would inflict pain and knew that was love. Uh, (laughs) That's my grandpa. I am fascinated, I think America is fascinated with this idea of restoration. And so that's where we're gonna to go today is this idea of restoration. And so our, our main topic for the day is restoration means making broken things beautiful. Restoration means making broken things beautiful. And if you watch any channel for very long, you're going to get to a restoration show. Alright? You're gonna to get to American Restoration, you're gonna get to pawn shop, you're gonna you're gonna do all these different things where you see these broken stuff. And this guy, or these ladies, or whoever it is in that particular show, make it beautiful again. And this captivates me, uh, how they can take pinball machines that are basically a spot of rust covered by rust with another shade of rust, and then turn them into something beautiful that makes all the sounds and works, and like, oh my goodness, where's how do you do that? And so I think I get captivated by that, captivated by watching those, those shows and seeing how are they actually going to pull that off. Because I really just want to see, what would happen if I got something old like that is I would touch it and it would just... Like a, like a house of cards. And I really, I really want a show where the guy goes, oh, this is going to be hard to get off, pulls on the bolt and it just kind of falls apart. That would make my heart feel better. I'd feel a little better about myself. Um, but they have this knack and this... This ability to make broken things beautiful again. And this is the essence of what Jesus does. He takes broken things and makes it beautiful and functional again. We're going to talk about that today, specifically in the life of Peter. John 21 says, Afterward, Jesus appeared to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, don't you have any fish? No, they answered, He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did it, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as as soon as Simon heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, (laughs) towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. But even with so many the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, my sheep this is the restoration of peter this is the pulling back into peter of his life a broken heart a life that was all for god all for for jesus jesus right hand man going and going and going all for jesus if you remember the story just a few chapters before peter is so amped up about defending jesus that he cuts a guy's ear off i don't know if peter was Aiming for his ear. That actually would take some talent, not to hit a shoulder, not to hit a neck, but just an ear. Uh, but Peter is so amped up for Jesus that he is willing to do anything. And then he denies Christ. And Peter's life starts to be broken and starts to fall apart. And Peter must be dealing with some serious depression issues, going, What am I doing? What's going on here? Who am I? And Jesus is reinstating him. See, the, the process of, of the whole idea of church and the whole idea of Jesus is this restoration. Taking broken things and making them beautiful again. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. We get caught up in all kinds of different things. And uh, as Christians, sometimes we get distracted by, by you know, political things or other kinds of stuff. But at the root of all of it is that Jesus takes broken things and makes them beautiful Again, we're going to watch a video about this and about this whole time period and this this moment. One of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible it happens after Jesus has died and been resurrected. And he meets the disciples at two of my favorite things. He meets them at the lake, and he meets them at a fire. Specifically, he meets Peter at a fire. What's been going on is Peter has denied Christ three times during the suffering of Jesus, through the torture of Jesus. Peter denies him three times, and Peter's carrying this guilt, this guilt of I denied my best friend. I I abandoned my best friend in the moment he was being beaten. I have denied my best friend when he needed me the most. And you can imagine the weight that Peter was holding on his shoulders through that. Well, in this time after Jesus has gone up to heaven, the disciples return to what they know and what Peter knows is fishing and what a bunch of the other guys knows are the fishing. And, you know, honestly, when life's not going very good, this place, this lake, it's been good to me. It's been good to my soul. So I think I can sympathize with Peter at at the lake. He's running away to go fishing with his buddies to think... What do I do now? Where do I go now? I, I sold my, my fishing business. I, I left my whole life. And when the rubber hit the road, I abandoned what I was supposed to be living for. And at that fire, Peter recognizes Jesus. There's a fire off in the distance. And, and Peter goes, hmm. That looks suspicious. And this stranger at the fire says, hey guys, throw your nets on the other side. And immediately Peter knows that's gotta be Jesus. So Peter, without thinking, is in the middle of the lake from a far away off and they can see this guy cooking at a, at a fire and he hears Jesus say these words and he jumps off the boat and swims in, leaving the rest of the guys in the middle of the boat without probably their biggest, strongest guy. It wasn't really the most well-thought-out plan of Peter's. But you can imagine him just tearing through the water, racing towards Jesus, and he, he gets out of the water, sopping wet, beard just dripping with the Sea of Galilee. And he embraces Jesus here at the fire, and what would that moment be like where this best friend, this this savior, this king that he had pledged his life for, he knows he betrayed him. And Jesus at the fire, Jesus at the lake, says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's response is, of course I love you. Jesus says it a second time. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. Jesus responds, then feed my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, of course I love you. Jesus responds again, then feed my sheep. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's restoring Peter. He's bringing new life to Peter over a fire at a lake. He's bringing all that guilt that has been weighing on Peter's shoulders. All that guilt and all that probably self-talk and that, that defeatist attitude of, I'm good for nothing. I, I failed at my mission. God himself gave me a chance to serve him, and what did I do with it? I just threw it away because I was scared. But Jesus restores him. And for me today, I, I think, what does that look like? And where in my life do I need to be restored? Where in my life do I think maybe, just maybe, I thought I, I missed my chance. I, I'm no longer good enough. I'm no longer valid. I'm no longer worthy of being used. This story is one of my favorites because it says you can be used. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter the things that have happened to you, God can restore you and breathe new life into you with a simple question. Do you love me? You love me. I always, that just racks my brain, is that's what Jesus' response to all of it. That's the key to restoration. Do you you love me? I know you got all these excuses, Peter. I know you got all this stuff going on. But all that is junk. It's extra. What I want to know is, do you love me? And for many of us, I think when we deal with restoration issues, when we deal with our heart, we deal with where we find ourselves today, it's really easy to find ourselves kind of going, I'm, something is wrong, something is broken, something is an issue, and I don't know what, what that is, and I don't know how to fix that, and I don't know where it gets better from here. And Jesus' answer to that is the answer to this question, do you love me? I have the ability to restore you, I have the ability to make you whole again, Jesus says. All it takes is, do you love me? There's not a, a bunch of hoops. There's not a checklist. There's not a, Peter, I need you to do 800 things here. I need you to go this. I need you to do that. I need you to run a marathon, and I need you to get all your ducks in a row. No, 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 no. What does he ask? He says, Peter, do you love me? If Jesus would have asked him to do anything, he probably would have said, yes, Lord, yes, yes, I'll do it. But that's not what he asked. He just said, do you, do you love me? And that sticks with me and Maybe it makes Christianity a whole lot easier. Maybe I'm the one who's wanted to make it harder to maybe even earn God's love. Maybe I'm the one that wanted to make it harder to participate in this restoration. But if you think about it, the pinball machine doesn't restore itself. It's not like, oh, I'll get rid of this rust. It has no part in the restoration process. It's all the restorer that does all the work you don 't go and I have some items in my garage that I need to have restored i don 't walk in my garage and disappointed that the items didn't restore themselves. It would make things a lot easier. Time, my Saturdays would look different. but that 's not even an expectation. Do you love me? For us to get to participate in this restoration, it takes a couple of things. Restoration requires acknowledging there is a problem. Restoration requires acknowledging there is a problem. Knowing there's a problem and getting it fixed. If I had this, I don't know why I'm obsessed with a pinball machine or a rusty pinball machine today. I am. So there, that's going to be our illustration. But if you had a a rusty pinball machine, you're like, oh, it doesn't work, but it's a nice yard ornament. It looks good in my basement. And I bet in some of your marriages right now, you have this exact thing going on. You have something in your house that you're like, oh, I wish that was not there. Right? I wish that was carpeted differently. I wish that was upholstered differently. I wish that was not so rusty, whatever. And the other spouse is like, it's perfect just the way it is. I like the rust. I like it. I had an orange chair. May it rest in peace. (laughs) I had a beautiful, wonderful orange chair, and it was the most comfortable thing in the world, and admittedly, it was probably one of the ugliest things in the world. However, burnt orange did come back there for a year, and I (laughs) thought it was good. It was a $10 find at Goodwill. I had to spend more on Febreze, which I'm allergic to, to clean it than I did to actually buy the chair, but I loved that thing. I entertained ideas of, of reupholstering it and whatever, but I thought it was wonderful. That chair did not make the move with us. But that you need to, I needed to acknowledge the idea that something needed to change with this broken chair that I had to replace a lug knot on every time that I, I kicked it back. And some of us, for our own lives, we have to acknowledge the fact that something is actually broken. And maybe we've been in denial for a long time. But Peter in this story has to recognize the fact that something is different now. And in in my mind, and when I read the Bible, I see when Peter says, I'm going fishing. That this is the acknowledgement of something is wrong. I don't know what to do right now. And so I'm going back to what I know. I don't know how to proceed from now. I, don't, I can't be in Jerusalem anymore. I can't be here. I can't sit in these walls anymore. I've got to go do something. I've got to go be somewhere. And maybe somewhere in that he's going, I've got to get back on that lake because that's where I met Jesus in the first place. I've got, just got to get back. I don't, I don't know what's going through his head there. But I know this. For me, the same. is that Restoration requires acknowledging there's a problem One of the interesting things in the story that I I saw honestly this morning when I was rereading it was that this is the third time that Peter would have seen him. This is the third time. And Peter is not speaking to Jesus. The restoration happens when it happens after the meal's over. So if Peter beats everybody into the lake, he's just standing there soaking wet. Jesus is poking the fire. What, what is going on in those moments? What's, what's happening then? This is Peter trying to work up the courage. So what do I, talk, what do I say? Is Jesus you know, holding the hand out and he can see the holes in his hands and he's like, I'm kind of responsible for that. What is, what is going through Peter's mind? He can't even, apparently they haven't had this talk the other two times that Jesus has appeared. He's just kind of frozen. But he's there. He's recognizing that there's an issue. There's something going on inside that is broken. Restoration requires coming to Jesus. Restoration requires coming to Jesus. Peter knows the gulf has happened. He he jumps out of the boat and comes toward Jesus. You have to realize in ancient Israel and just ancient culture anyway, water is the enemy. Water is the symbol that everyone uses for it's the unknown, it's the untamable, it's the scary. So if ever you wanted to use an illustration, a metaphor for scariness, you would use water in a story. So the very fact that Peter is jumping out of a boat to swim somewhere means that he is jumping into the scariest of things, the most unknown of things, the most untamable of things to get access to Jesus' Restoration requires coming towards Jesus. Going back to my pinball metaphor, man, I wish that pinball machine would get restored. Man, I wish that would happen. Man, I wish that. It doesn't happen until you pack it up and you send it to American Restoration in Las Vegas. (laughs) He's not going to show up on your door and be like, oh, I got the parts you need and the, the WD 40 to get that bolt loose. Or Lubecon, if you will, Perry. That is for you. It's not going to happen. Just watching the TV show is not going to somehow magically impart restoration through cable. Now my pinball machine works. It doesn't happen that way. We all wish it could. But you have to be near the restorer. Until the restorer can get its hands on the machine, on your heart, restoration can't happen. I think that's why it's so imperative that that Peter will stop at nothing. We'll jump into the unknown, jump into the untamable to get close to the restorer. Restoration requires living renewed. Too often we continue to live like we're dented up pieces of junk that we used to be and not step into what restored is. There's a difference, I think, what I could do with a pinball machine and what the hands of a true restorer can do is the first thing is, hey, what I could do with a pinball machine is I could strip the paint away and I could repaint it and maybe put some bondo on it. And it would look pretty, but it wouldn't work. The insides, I, I have no expertise in fixing the springs and all the, I don't know what's inside a pinball machine. I honestly have no idea. I wouldn't know how to even start. I wouldn't even know where to find a manual for that. But I could paint it and look at, make it look pretty. But in the hands of an actual restorer, intimately knows all the workings of that machine. And painstakingly brush and painstakingly oil and painstakingly replace all the things to make it work like it did the very first time. And that's the difference between us and, I think, letting Jesus restore us, is when we deal with, I'm going to work on that, and I'm going to fix that, and I'm going to do that for my life, and we try self-help books, or we try to self-help things, we can put, slap a coat of paint on it, make it look a little prettier. But until we get into the hands of a master craftsman, until we get into the hands of a true restore, real change will never happen. restoration requires living renewed. What a shame would it be if we treated that pinball machine when it comes back from the restorer the same as it before it left. Right? It's just a yard ornament. It's just sitting there in our man cave or whatnot. No one ever plays it. No one ever uses it. No one ever hears it go on. What what a shame is that? It goes through restoration to be used again, to be made new uh, again. That's what Feed My Sheep is all about. That's why Jesus responds that way. He is reframing Peter's purpose. He doesn't want Peter to go back and be a fisherman. He doesn't want Peter to go back and do what he's always been doing. He doesn't want him to go back to status quo. He gives him a new purpose and a new mission. And he says, listen, 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 listen. Don't go back out on that boat. You're going to feed my sheep. He sets him on a new path and a new purpose, a new plan that changes history. We're going to close with another video to the end of the other one. It's talking about what this restoration really can look like and the answer to the question, do you love me? And how you answer that question is what sets off your new life in Him. So today, think about the stuff you've done. Today, you get to leave it, you get to toss it in the fire, you get to drop it here, because Christ is promising you a new life, a restored life, a life with value, a life with purpose. And all He asks of you is, Do you love me? Trying to get restored apart from God is like a 57 Chevy trying to change its own transmission. Answering the question, Do you love me? Maybe today is a day in which you go, You know what? I need to be restored. I need to participate in that. I want to be made new. I want to have a plan. I'm tired of trying to fix all the broken things in me when I have no idea how to actually fix the broken things in me. Some of us, I know I do, put on a pretty good face on that. We can read, write books. We can do what Oprah says. But until we participate in what God has for us in the restoration that he has for us. All that is just a coat of paint on a rusty hunk of junk. What I'm asking and what I'm talking about today is a life that is new from the inside out. A life that takes old parts and makes them new. A life that says, you don't work the way you are designed for, but now you can. That is what I want for my life and my kids' life and my family's life. It's what I want for your lives as well. Let's pray. God, we ask you to restore us. We, we ask you to take our lives. We, we know we've messed up. We know we've gunked things up. We know we have some rust on us. God, we, we hand you our lives right now and say, Lord, will you clean us? Will you file down the rusty parts? Will you oil us? God, will you make our hearts the way they used to be? Will you show me what a life, what my life can look like again? God, today we choose to say yes, Lord. We love you. We want to love you. Maybe we don't even know what that fully means yet, but we're going to try. And so today, God, we we answer the question Do you love me with, Lord, yes. You know we love you. Lord, I pray for everyone in here that they would come to realization of loving you. Wherever that's at on a spectrum, wherever that's at on a a road, on a journey, that today they could start answering the question, do you love me with a yes? Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen.